All right, so hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we're here tonight for Detention Live. Joining me as usual is my co-host, Chris. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And then tonight we have a very special guest co-host. Um, this is David. David has been a very longtime friend and patron and supporter and all-around nice guy when it comes to the RPG Academy. Uh, we've had the chance to game a couple times, but it's been many years, I think, since that happened. Um, but definitely a cool guy. I like that I got to know him. I'm excited to have him on the show. So, David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Uh, we got Sumkey already in the audience, so Sumkey, thanks for jumping in. I have been meaning to get back to playing Zelda for like the last two weeks. This is to some key specifically. And there keeps being something in the way. One day I got to start to do this and then this, I couldn't get the streaming to work out. Like I had to reboot OBS. I'm going to get back to it. I promise. So, but David, you have talked before and you've been a listener to the show. I don't know. Like we've been going like 11 years now. Have you been around like 10 of those? I'd say six. Okay. It's been a while. Uh, but you've said yeah. that Detention is one of your favorite shows. Like you really enjoy the format and you're pretty excited to be here. We're excited to have you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been, I stored detention episode. My There's a through line. My favorite podcasts all kind of transcend their content and become about human connection and people. And this is just always such an uplifting and positive space that you create in detention. I mean, the RPG Academy overall, but this one particularly, if I don't, you know, the last two years have been a lot. Mm. And so I saved detentions <laughs> and, um, I also would used to save um, uh, redemptions, um, nice. but they're on a hiatus at the moment. So, uh, give it, give yeah, it just super, super stoked to be part of this great space. Yeah. Again, we're absolutely happy to have you. Uh, so you may have, you may listening, may have noticed that uh, David's accent's a little different than mine. You are from Austin, is that right? Close. I so I'm I'm dialing in from the Great Down Under. I'm in Australia. Australia. I'm, I knew I knew it was close. I had a couple letters off. So I'm I live in a city called Brisbane. Its indigenous name is Mianjin, and it's the traditional land of the Yagara and Turbal people. Uh, and it's just wonderful, wonderful city. I'd be happy to have any of you down. Any <laughs> member of the academy is a friend of mine. Not going to lie to you. Australia scares me. There's too many things there that are trying to kill you. Yes. I know that's sort of like the stereotypical joke thing, but it's also kind of true. Like if you watch any videos, there's things down there that are just like the spiders are like this big and I don't care if they're nice. Anything that big with that many legs? No. Yeah. With the cryptozoology, it's like (laughs) I could just do some of our actual zoology. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) It'd be more frightening. Um, so again, I am fighting a cold. I've mentioned it on Twitter today, um, but I had had to cancel this one on David once already, so I didn't want to do it again. But I'm going to try to power through. But if I start coughing, just you know, move move on without me. I'm the least important person here. But with that, we're going to jump into the show as we always do. We start with extracurricular. And this is where we just talk about things we've been up to, things we want to share with strangers on the internet, books we've been reading, uh, movies, TV shows, music, or just anything in your life that you feel like sharing. Chris, I'll start with you tonight, sir. What you been up to, buddy? I've gotten into a couple of shows that I really like. Uh, I'm really digging Andor. I really like, not going to go into too much, but a little bit darker, grittier story. No force users. Don't change that mouse. I'm more important than anybody else. Keep it where it is. I've been really enjoying She-Hulk. 
I like the kind of break from the kind of the serious Marvel and breaking the fourth wall and a little bit lighter hearted. Um, I, I really like that. And I really like the rings of power. I really like how they've done that. I think it's well done. Of course, I'm not a huge Tolkien expert, so there might be somebody out there screaming, well, they got this wrong and that wrong. I don't know any different. So not a big deal to me. Uh, other than that, I started playing Hyrule Warriors, which is the prequel, I guess, to Breath of the Wild. I thought it was going to be like Breath of the Wild, but it's not. It's a little more like, I guess, Dynasty Warriors, where you just run around in mass mobs and just kill everything. So it's still fun. I get to mash buttons and, you know, waste some time and not think about anything. Other than that, just work. Um, going to go camping with some friends this weekend. Yes, in October in the Midwest. But for once, it's not going to be snowing. So it'll be fun. That's all it's all really new with me. I don't have too much news. Yeah, I'll I'll touch base on Andor as well. I'm I'm really enjoying it, but I'm the only and it, this is like I don't want to come across like as a negative, but just I'm not sure if the reason I like it so much is that it seems so disconnected from Star Wars because it doesn't feel like a lot of like what I think Star Wars feels like because it, it's missing some of those iconic things like Jedi and lightsabers and stuff. And I don't think Star Wars needs it. But this feels weird because it doesn't have it, but it's also really good. So it's sort of like my brain is like fighting with itself going, well, is the reason you like it because you don't have it? Or is it you reason it's just really good and it chooses not to have it and it could have chose to have it and it still would have been good, that type of thing. But yeah, I watched the fourth episode today. So again, no spoiler, or fifth actually, I think. Um, and I'm absolutely in all the way. Like I'm really, really enjoying it. So I highly recommend that as well. They do have some of the typical stereo, stereotypic things in there. You got your cutesy droid. They didn't leave one of those out. That's true. The Empire is still shown as, you know, evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've thrown in evil corporations now. So it's kind of got some of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not wholly absent, but yeah. All yeah. right, David, I'll go to you next. What have you been up to, buddy? Um, I've changed job recently. Um gone back out working for myself which is really good makes times like this available to me during the day so i've got a bit more control of uh, my own time we have been um i've got two kids my partner and i we've been um inhaling owl house um if you've not watched owl house on disney plus um Mm -mm. it's like rich fantasy inclusive every frame it's one of those ones where every frame has something to look at if you wanted to but you just at some point have to just let it wash over you uh fish out of water story um human girl goes into fantasy realm um and it pokes very um conscious fun at some of the really big tropes um and yeah we're we're just loving it uh Caleb and am... Grant on Discord have been talking about that one a lot. I know Caleb really loves that. I think Grant does as well. And they're just, excuse me, anytime there's a new episode, they're both chatting about it. So it's on my list. I just haven't got to it yet. And it's, um, I'll underline this with you know, the the things I've been doing is all about lots of story. Uh, life is about you know stories and stuff. I've got Andor queued up, ready for as soon as I got time to to watch it. 
She-Hulk's on our list. Uh, I think one of the things that got me excited recently is in the last two and a half years, I've been playing through I Spy a Peak with my twins. They're 10 turning 11. We're just about to finish that. Uh, And the other night when I was cooking dinner, I heard the unmistakable click clack of dice on a table uh, and went round into the living room and found that my son had set up the Dungeon Master screen that he got for Christmas and he and his sister had just started playing D&D with each other. And it was one of those things that as a game of parent, I thought, I'd like, you know, I can't wait to see the intergenerational pass through. And you always imagine, well, I'll be there that moment that it happens. I was like, dang it, I was cooking pasta and I just, you know, you did it without me. You're, you're independent and doing it your own way, which is just wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and where our bedtime book at the moment we read every night is, um, is we're reading Narnia. And that's really fascinating to reread with 10-year-old Australian kids. And when someone says, by Jove, and they go, what, what even is that? What does that mean? <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, see that. It's been really, it's been really good. So amazing times to be watching television, uh, and we've just finished school holidays here. So uh, we had a great. We went to Tasmania, uh, and if you like poetic places, there, uh, there's a place called the Edge of the World in Tasmania, which is where the ocean, like six story high, oceanic waves slam into the cliffs of Tasmania, carrying entire trees that fell off the coast in South America or South Africa. And there's a plaque there that says, oops, sorry, bang the microphone, says throw a pebble in the stone. If throw a stone into the ocean, you've thrown a stone off the edge of the world and know that it'll be here for a long, long time. So my family and I stood on the edge of the world and <laughs> threw, threw a stone into the ocean together. It was just wonderful. Wilderness of Australia is great. Chris, you should come down to camp. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. I got to go take the wife to Spain first. Then I can go somewhere else. We were supposed to go for our 20th anniversary, which was this year. And we, that's what still wasn't open for us to go. Mm. So shooting for the 25th or maybe 22nd anniversary. Uh, we don't know. We'll figure it out. It's on the list, right? Awesome. It'll be interesting because she'll get to talk to everybody and I'll just get to stand there like, you know, the foolish American <laughs> tourist that doesn't understand anything people are saying. Uh. And then probably realize halfway through their conversation, they're speaking English and I just wasn't paying right, attention. Right, just wasn't paying attention, yeah. <laughs> Gone from being monolingual to just being a disinterested spouse. Going, so, yeah. Oh, wait, sorry. Yep, sorry yeah. about that. So I will say, though, that we are getting closer and closer to the universal translator. Like there are apps mm-hmm. on the iPhones now that are almost real time. Like you can just like hold it up and they can talk and it will then tell you what they said. Uh, and they're like, I have my, my Bluetooth uh, hearing aid so it all goes through there. So I could literally have you talk. It would translate and I would hear it in English in my head. Um, and I'm sure, but you know, two years now that there'll be an iPhone 17 by then. Right. So who knows what, the, what they'll have. I use the Google translator at work. I, I do medical supplies. So a lot of times people come in and they don't speak English and I'll go, hold on. <coughs> and then we'll, I'll talk and it'll translate for me. And then they talk and it translates back. So that's been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it's, using me drawing pictures which is a lot of stick figures and arrows and at the end of it i go makes sense and they kind of go (laughs) does it look like a penis though like or if you're on a dungeon map it always looks like a penis kind of i'm imagining chris putting like this is 
close range. This is medium range. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are our bands. Uh, so Sunkey yeah. says that uh, they've been watching an Australian-based show called Darby and Joan, which is a mystery show. I don't know if you are familiar with that one, David. I am I am not. I You're not a real Australian. Um, <laughs> so I've already touched True. on it. I really liked Andor. I thought the first three episodes were tight. And I've kind of read that basically the way the show is going to work, it's nine episodes. Each three is sort of like its own arc. Mm-hmm. So the first three kind of make, not like a movie, but it's like a, a story that's, it leads into the next, but it also sort of like is self-contained in some ways. And I thought the first three were amazing. The fourth one started over and, and you know, the fifth episode was kind of the buildup, but it definitely leaves you on a place where I, I'm now excitedly waiting until next week so I can finish up, see how things go. So I'm absolutely loving Andor. I like <laughs> that Star Wars is pushing out into some new spaces. I like seeing new places. Like I, for one, and I'm, I don't mean to make people cross, but I re- I loved the Mandalorian a lot more before Boba Fett arrived. I went, this is new and different, and it's a, it's its own story. And it was You're... it was like, sure, give Boba a cameo, but I'm invested in Din Djarin and Grogu. Like, just give me that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I I I think it's cool that they're I as a non force user myself in real life yeah. if there's if if there's a story that feels more like me it's like good on them for giving that a go mm-hmm. yeah and and that we feel comfortable now i think as consumers of media that they've gone look we've done entire clone wars and set stuff you all know darth how darth dies you know how obi-wan dies uh, like we know where andor's story ends up but that doesn't mean that the beginning isn't compelling yeah 100 percent and I'm in the same boat you are with the Mandalorian. I, I've gone on record more than once saying Boba Fett was fan service, wasn't done well, should have left him in the pit, or hired me to write the story because I would have done way better. He would have had that rocket you. pack and shooting a lot of stuff. And there'd been a lot more violence. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely loving She Hulk as well. I know I've heard some gremlins online about it. I, I'm loving it. I like that it's irreverent. I like that it doesn't really connect to anything. I it's it feels like a TV show. It doesn't feel like a movie that's mm-hmm. been cut into pieces and parts. And you know, it's kind of like disposable, but it's also fun. And it's into the stuff that I'm into. And I like seeing these C and D list characters. They get little cameos, and I I I'm really enjoying it. I'm very much looking forward to the next episode. Yes, I'm looking forward to having Daredevil finally show up. But that's also because I really like that Daredevil show on Netflix. It was yes. by far the best of all of the Netflix shows. And um, Charlie Cox absolutely nails that oh, character. Yeah. So I'm excited to see him because of that. But that doesn't lessen my enjoyment of She-Hulk that he hasn't been been there yet. Like uh, anyone who's watching She-Hulk just to see Daredevil, I don't, I don't think you're in the right headspace. That's why you're not enjoying it. It's not that he's not there. It's just you're not in the right mindset for what that show is doing. But I think what it is actually doing is doing really, really well. And I'm excited to see how things progress. I Um, think what they are doing well with She-Hulk, I'm invested in both She-Hulk and Jen. I know they're the same person, but they're two different personalities. Right. I'm invested heavy into both, but I'm also invested in like her assistant Mm. slash best friend and you know other characters around her it's not solely her you know that you you, you get invested in like right. some of the other ones so i just i think it's well done i think the writing is well done i think the way that the actress performs it is really well done 
I'm enjoying it. I love how they're having, you know, Blonsky slash the abomination, just this, you know, how they've changed his character. And I'm just waiting for the, the other shoe to fall on that one, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I also, I've been reading, uh, audio book style, the new Stephen King book, fairy tale that just came out a few weeks ago. Um, I'm pretty much a big Stephen King fan. I read most of what he's written. One of my favorite podcasts is the Stephen King focus podcast. It's really good. It's called fairy tale. It's, you know, it's not D and D, but there's definitely some elements of, you know, again, kind of like you were saying about uh, owl house. It's a human boy that gets him into a fantasy land and, but it's also through the lens of Stephen King. So some of the, uh, the things that you expect, you kind of get subverted in a really good way and very compelling. So I think it's like a 25 hour, hour, um, audio, hour audio book. I got like four hours left. So I'm really far into it. I'm really enjoying it. Can't wait to finish it. Could you imagine what he would be like as a GM? I would love it. I'd absolutely, I'd find out. I'd like to find out someday. Cause I just, he, he makes mundane things so interesting that I think he would be able to get really invested in that world. Cause I think that's what he does so well is the, he grounds his characters in mundanity so that when the supernatural happens, it feels terrible. Like, cause you, you know, everything about these people and who they are and the car they drive and the sodas they prefer and, you know, the problems they're having with their spouses. Then all of a sudden a werewolf eats one of them. Like you feel that loss because they're a real person to you. They're not just a character on a page. Yep. I feel like I would just kind of stare at him as he's describing things. Just be like, well, the problem is he has his voice, you know? And again, as I'm hard, it's hard for me to talk, especially today more than ever, but he's just got that main accent. And I think it would just, sometimes you get lost in it. Like say that again. Um, and then a catacomb's taking up majority of my, my time, every moment, every waking moment that I'm not doing something else. I'm dealing with the catacomb stuff. It's fun. I'm great. I love it, but it's still, it's a lot. Uh, we're getting very close. Almost everything is off my bucket list other than to finish packing and, and get there with a few little things or just things that are in progress. Um, I'm very excited mm-hmm. about that. And then I will say um, I have a family vacation at the end of the month. We're going back to Disney World. It's the one in Florida. I think that's Disney World. Uh, and we're going to hit Star Wars Land and the Avengers Campus. Those are like our two big things that we're going for. And I'm very excited about that. So hopefully I'll be over the cold you know, have my COVID booster, everything will be great. Cause I, I leave that vacation a day early, leaving my family there to come back a day early to pack up, to head to a catacomb. So oh, nice. You'll be busy. <laughs> very, very, but it also it compounds like all the stuff I have to get done. I have one week less than I normally would because I, mm-hmm. once I leave for vacation, I'm not going to be able to manage anything. So if anything pops up, yeah. I'll deal with it when I get back, when I get back, it's time to leave. So we shall see. So right. As an Australian, I, I, I kind of know I've been to Florida, mm-hmm. but like is, is Disney world okay with the big storm that hit? So they actually did shut the park down for a couple of days, which is extremely rare for that park to ever get shut down. But I don't think there was actually any damage. I think it was more like they couldn't ask their employees to come to work in the middle of it and that kind of thing. So I believe the park is fine. At least we haven't heard anything. Nothing about our reservations have gotten changed. It's it's survived several in the past. I'm sure it'll keep going. If not, they might have the money to rebuild. They yes, they could rebuild it, make it better, faster, and stronger. It the six might, billion dollar amusement park. That would just be one right there, probably by now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 
Okay, so with that, we're going to move into our first improv game, and this is 10 Things. And this is a show where we'll take turns prompting one another to try to create a list of 10 things that fit the prompt. Uh, the idea behind the game is immediacy is more important than accuracy, so coming up with a list quickly is better in terms of the game than coming up with a list that actually makes a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, David, you are the guest tonight, so would you like to go first in terms of giving one of us a prompt or receiving a prompt? I would like to tear the Band-Aid off and get prompted. Okay. David, your 10 things. Okay. Uh, all right. So talked a little bit about Australia, talked about a little bit about TV uh, shows. So give me 10 of your favorite childhood TV shows that you watched growing up. Wow. Um, Doctor Who. One. One. The Goodies. Two. David Attenborough's Life on Earth. Blake Three. Seven. Four. Battlestar Galactica. Five. Um the Star Wars movies when they we would get them a year after they were released. Um six. Super Friends. Seven. Transformers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um Eight. we got it as Robotech, but Macross. Um Eight. nine. That's what it's called here too. Uh and um Astro Boy. Ten. Hey, these are ten things. Excellent. That is harder than you think it would you be. You did very well. I thought yeah. you did that really well. All right. So to keep the list going, you will then prompt Chris. Okay. Chris, you are planning a camping trip trip to Australia. Okay. What are 10 things you've heard you need to be careful about in Australia or you think could kill you in Australia? Uh, okay. Everything. Uh, sn- s- snakes, for sure. Uh, giant crocodiles. Uh, sharks, really big waves when I try to surf, even though I don't know how to surf. Uh, giant spiders, uh, uh, kangaroos, because I don't want to box one. Um, dingoes, I think that's a thing. Uh, ooh, koala bears, I hear they're vicious. Um, They'll give other, you syphilis. <laughs> uh, other tourists, trying to drink with a local. That's 10. That's 10. Yay. Yay. I may have got my counts up there. So nine out of them are true. <laughs> the quality uh, aren't vicious. <laughs> well, we have a, 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 the fictional drop bear, which is the mm. carnivorous subspecies of koala that kill you by, they have an armored butt and they drop <laughs> out of the tree and crush you and then eat you. And we tell tourists about drop bears. Nice. All right, Michael, you ready? I'm sure. All right. Uh, 10 things you want to see at Disney World Land, whatever it's called. The Rise of the Resistance. One. Um, The Build a Star Wars lightsaber thing. Two. (laughs) The Build the Droid thing. Three. Um, Some Marvel characters. Four. Um, The movie uh, Black Panther 2 early, even though I know that's not going to happen. Five. Mm, Uh, Spaceships. Six. Nice weather. Seven. Short lines at the airport. Eight. Um, a, a giant ass cookie. Nine. And my family. Ten. Yay! Yay! That was Beautiful. a little fact list of ten things. Ten things. All right. So we're going to move into used books. This is kind of the meat potatoes of the show generally. And we're going to talk about a campaign that one of us have either played or, or ran. 
And we're just going to like mine it for lessons learned, things that went well that maybe we've carried into future games, maybe something we tried and it just didn't work and we have learned from it and we either avoid it or we've done it differently in the future. David, you are the guest tonight. Do you have a campaign you'd like to talk about, sir? Uh, yeah, I do. I've been really interested to hear that you, Michael, have got like the, the OG group together again. And that's an experience I've had. That's how I got back into the hobby. Uh, when the 5e books were first released that Christmas, uh, my wife gave me the DMG, the player's handbook and the monster manual for Christmas and said, I know you loved this when we were younger. Um, the kids are old enough now that you, we can start having our hobbies again. Here are the books. Like That's an awesome present. Yeah. Um, and it, it was it was the books and it was also like the not permission that's not the way our relationship works but going we've got space for hobbies now the kids are out of they're not they're not two where right. it's 24 7 all the time not mm-hmm. the parenting ever isn't but you know right uh and she said um i've made arrangements to book the um function room at one of the local pubs here and um thought you might want to get the old crew together because we used to game together in our Catholic school and all the way through what I'd call uni, what you'd call college. Um, so there was like about 13 people that were in that core group, but in two different games. Mm-hmm. Got in touch with all the school boys. I went to an all-boys school. And um, then a couple of extras and got eight people together at the pub. <laughs> we were in our early 40s all of a sudden. And played a one shot. I had no expectations that, like, I didn't know. Like, when we popped the lid on that box mm-hmm. of that experience, I went, I don't know what this is going to be. And I was, I told myself, if 40 minutes in this sucks, <laughs> no one's having fun, we're at a pub, we'll have a different kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all loved it and didn't want to stop. Um, I'd I'd made they'd started at level three so it wouldn't be boring. Uh I had a couple of new players um who who you know who'd always wanted to be in the group but never were. Um so for all of them, I'll get my glass ready. I did a session zero. Oh nice. And showed them how to play very briefly. And we got together and um that game's now been running for six and a half years. Wow. Wow. Uh and it's it's now three campaigns in and i think the reason i wanted to bring it up was and and talk about it is listening to you michael um and also like being a redemption fan listening to what a long-term group sounds like and one of my favorite quotes is you can make new friends but you can't make old ones mm-hmm. is there's this weird thing of we'd kind of been in each other's lives since school. Some of us a lot, some of us not a lot. And then we came back again to do this thing we used to do every day at school at lunchtime and was so wrapped in memories and having to come in if you, with so many more people coming into the hobby. And I say being a, being an experienced dungeon master, I'm not the greatest, but you know, I'm a, I'm a good GM is the closest I'll come to feeling like a 
single wealthy supermodel <laughs> that in in gaming circles like there's always more players than there are gms so mm. i've ended up running like three four groups at a time now i'm down to just two but coming into the experience going this isn't what it was before i can't go into this going it's going to be like we were 15 at school again but it's also I had to just let it be its own thing. And a couple of those people who came to that first session, like one didn't come to the second session. Mm-hmm. He, he had fun. He had drinks with us. We hugged at the end. He had a great time. And then it was like, wow, I'm really glad we did this. And and he tapped out. Right. But that's not his life now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And, and it was like, we got together. We did the thing. It was great that Joe was there. And then he wasn't. And then I think four or five sessions in, um, if we think about the types of fun, which is one of the lenses I like to use, um, the, the, the guy who used to always make the, the dick jokes and the, um, like the inappropriate innuendos and stuff, perhaps me because of where he, yeah, but it was in a way that wasn't, wasn't great. Ah. And he kind of, he just sort of realized he didn't fit at the table and where he was in his life about six or so sessions in, he went, I think I'm done too. And we brought some other people in who word got out in that DG's running games again and their seats at the table. And um, something like that letting go of control that's been one of the themes of, I think, of the evolution of the hobby and going, I can't determine what this table's going to feel like. I can create a good table, a safe place, a neutral space where everyone's going to get spotlight. I'm going to listen to you and play back the ideas and things that make you fun. And just letting the group morph out. Um, one of the things I did that, um, because it was originally set up as a one-shot, the first group was way too overpowered. I mm-hmm. stacked them with awesome abilities and powerful magic items i had no expectation it would keep going yep so i had to like jump straight into epic tier type stuff which i wouldn't do again right i'd go if we want to keep playing we're going to do something different because i can't run this story Mm. for two years i managed to but it was it was really challenging um and i stuck a an npc in there from the outset that could be my mouth set my piece not a dmpc but just a nice simple meat shield barbarian who could ask dumb questions like why are we here again um and that became a hot seat for people who wanted to come and try they would come and be the barbarian for a session or two and if they liked it then they'd build out a character and join us um but it's been really good and really nourishing um it was really fantastic to get the opportunity to start it you know you go if only i knew then what i knew now oh yeah going all right i i know where this is going but given that i started as a one shot i knew it was going for four hours five hours the fact that i then had to spin that out for another two years kind of forced my hand into the not forced my hand but i had i could feel 15 year old me wanting to go no this is my game and this is my story that you are a part of Mm mm-hmm rather than my fun had changed into seeing 
them leaning forward and being excited and going, oh, 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 and go, okay, whatever he's about to say or she's about to say is a thing that we should we should do or get involved in. But that overall, having the opportunity to start again with people where you've got the pre, oop, hit the mic again, you've got the pre-existing relationship, but you can go, this is this can't and won't be the same thing that it was before. It'll be a different thing. Um, and to just let go of that and go, it'll, I'm just, I'm running this new thing and let's see how it is and be comfortable as that changes. If, if it's not for everyone anymore, it's not for everyone anymore. And they can have had a great, a great, however many sessions they were with us for. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different elements that intersect, uh, at least in my experience. And it sounds like it mirrors yours, at least somewhat though. I'm very early into that journey that you've been in six years now. But part of that is like when I, when I started playing with these friends, Brennan, Bill and Joe, we played D and D together because we were friends who then decided to play D and D. And so we was always just us because we were the friend group. And then we played D and D because we played D and D and now just in, I think in general, but also just my life, I have different friend pockets of groups of people. And a lot of mine circle around D and D and RPGs because of the podcast and all that kind of good stuff. But just in general, understanding that with your friend who's like, I had a great time tonight, but I do not want to do this every week. So peace out and being understanding like that's not a failure on your part as a dungeon master. You didn't do a good enough job and that's why they didn't want to stick around. That is absolutely not what happened. They were adult enough and mature enough to realize that this was a really good time, but you're going to be keep doing this every week or every two weeks, whatever the case may be. I'm not invested. So I can be your buddy that comes to watch to the pub to watch the soccer matches or you know over football or whatever and I don't have to be part of this group but still be part of the overall group and that that was never my experience as a as a kid and I still hold a little bit of like, like I don't know if guilt's the right word but I'm I'm starting to evaluate it and deal with it as I have this resurgence of is the reason we stopped playing all those years ago is because I wasn't good enough to keep you having fun and I there's a part of it that thinks that's true, that if I had just been a better DM for my college age friends when we got to that age, that we never would have stopped. And I don't think that's true intellectually, but there's still a part of me that has held on to that thinking, well, now here's my chance to do it right. And now if this game falls apart, it'll be my fault. And I, I, again, I don't think that's true, but I do have that nervousness. I have a lot more nervousness about running these games now than I have on I don't, whatever podcast I'm doing or streaming or whatever the case be, I don't have anywhere near the amount of nervousness I have just outside this door that you can't see with my two friends. Cause J- Bill still hasn't come back yet. Afraid that if they have one bad game, they're going to be done. Like every game has to be the best possible game or it could fall apart. And I know that's not exactly what you were talking about, but that's what's part of my mind. So Chris, I, I know we've touched on a little bit, but what is your experience with this? Like, bringing back circle of friends, playing any, anything that you would want to bring to the table here? Um, well, a couple of things that popped to mind while you're talking. First, you said, you know, like 40 minutes into it, you're kind of, oh my gosh, questioning yourself. I think that's normal. I do it almost every game I run, like especially at conventions, like, you know, 40 minutes, usually you've just gotten really into the game after figuring out who's going to play what characters and whatnot. So to me, I, I run into that all the time. I've learned little tricks of, you know, just asking simple questions like, everybody good? We good to keep going? That way, 
it kind of checks in with the players a little bit just to kind of see how it's going. Um, I love the fact you said you knew it was going on for the next four hours. Someday I'll have that experience. I usually know what's going on for about the next four minutes. And then I'm like, aha, what's going to happen after that? I don't know. Um, That's just part of my style. I have such a loose idea of what a story is going to be, and I just kind of let it go. Um, I have gotten old friends together to play games. You know, the first time we got together, we're like, let's all capture our youth and play the same type of characters. And we realized quickly that, you know, we're not that young group anymore. It's not fun in your middle age to go to the bar to try to pick up the barmaid or, you know, have a petty little squabbles in the party, you know, unless you've really talked about it ahead of time and been like, okay, you're, you're, you know, Michael, you're playing the paladin. Well, I'm playing the, you know, kinder thief, you know, how are we going to actually handle this? So it doesn't become a, you know, a personal thing, you know, it's just an in-game fun thing. You know, I think having that's important. I think you hit it on the head though, of just saying, you know, we've all evolved. I know when I was younger, it was very much, this is my story. You're almost to the point where you're lucky to be in my story in a way. Not yeah. quite that arrogant, but kind of that's how games were run. You, know, you you get to follow my story, and if you hit the right keys, you win. I think now everybody's evolved to it's it's our story. It's okay if the GM makes a ruling that you're like, hmm, I see what you're thinking, but could we potentially do this rule instead? And I think it's more acceptable to do that now. I'm also the GM that will give you options. You, know, ah, you can roll this or that. You tell me what's better for you. And I kind of give players the option. You know, that's partially because I put myself in their seat. I want to succeed. So how would I do it? Well, if you give me options, I'm going to definitely look at my character sheet and tell you what's best right. mechanically. Yeah. You know, I am also lucky enough that I play with some players who will go, uh-uh, I want to choose the harder path because I think it'll be funnier or more interesting if I don't succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we just played this week with Redemption. No spoilers. I gave the other Michael uh, a role that when I gave him the difficulty, he laughed. He was like, yeah, that you, you want, you expect me to succeed. And I was like, eh, not really? And he almost did. The dice almost didn't work in my favor, but it, it still worked out in the scene. And he knew he was, I don't say set up to fail, but he knew the point of that moment, you know, and the power of that moment, that scene was kind of meant for him to fail. And he embraced it. He had fun with it. Um, and yes, we have recorded two more sessions. So hopefully we'll get back out there in a month or so. I want, I think we'll Australian boy happy. <laughs> so one of we want to get okay. a backlog. We want to get a backlog before we start throwing things out just in case there's a hiccup with recording. So. One of the things that you mentioned, I really wanted to touch on cause I have, I have had the same exact situation with the, the group that I'm in is that first time that we played at the cabin it, I didn't think we were going to play. I didn't plan on playing, but then they brought it up and they were like, Hey, we were on play. And, you know, fortunately I've run a lot of one shots, you know, so I've got a lot of experience to, to lean on. So yeah, again, I told the story before, but we ran to Walmart and we bought the, the starter set so I could use the pre-gens and stuff, but I gave them some extra hit points. I gave them some extra cool things to do because I wanted them to have a ton of fun. 
And then very similar to you, they're like, hey, we really like this. Let's keep playing. And now I'm dealing with, well, I gave him all these cool things to do because I thought we were doing a one shot. And now it's a continuing story. So they're kind of actually above power for where they should be. How do I manage that as a DM? And I, I think that's an interesting thought experiment of I wanted them to have fun. So I made them powerful. But yes. now I have to sustain this game. How do I pull back some of that power so that it doesn't become unmanageable for me as the DM? And I don't know that there's a lesson to be learned here as much as just the thought process of why is giving them, like, if I want every game to be fun, then shouldn't they always feel powerful? So then is what is my job as the DM when I'm managing the game each session? Is it to make them feel like they succeeded at effort or just give them cool stuff to do all the time and let them revel in, you know, being successful in the most cool way possible? Like, they're, like we know they're going to kill the orcs, but the question is how cool are they able to be in that process? And I still struggle with that because I, I want to tell these pretty long form stories that have these twists and turns and these reveals. And it feels like, again, like a Stephen King story in a lot of ways. But I think the marvelization of movies, I think we could cross over a little bit and go, at, at the end of the day, we know Marvel movies, like pretty much 90% of how it's going to end. There, are, there might be a little twist or turn. Maybe somebody dies we didn't expect because of contract disputes. But for the most part, we know the good guys are going to win, right? So why not just let them be superheroes? Why not just assume they're going to win, but just give them the tools to do that as super cool way possible and I struggle with that. I, I'm the same way. I'm like, I want them to feel like this was hard earned. I want them to not have the exact right tool. I don't want them to always have the quip they say. I want the bad guy to get a quip so that later when they kill them, they'll feel more you know, passionate about it. But I, don't know, I, just, I think there's something to be said about if I thought it was going to be one shot, I'd run it this way versus a campaign. Should they be different? And I don't, I don't have an answer. Just, just a question. Any thoughts on that, David? Um, Chris, you go. Well, one thing that popped in my mind, and I wish I could remember who told me this once. You said the statement of my job as the DM. This is what I think changed my mindset a lot. It's your role at the table, not your job. If you approach it like a job, then you put too much pressure on yourself. If you just go, hey, my role at the table is kind of facilitate the story and have fun. That, And I know that's kind of we're, you know, playing with words, but that really helped me because if I sit there and go, oh my God, it's my job. I have to do this. It put pressure on me. And I really wish I could remember who said it. And it, it I remember it was at one of the first catacons I went to because I made the same statement, man, it's my job to give you a good game. And, and whoever it was, was like, no, it's your role to be part of the table. Your role just happens to be the GM kind of guiding the story. So I think that was really a big thing that changed me, my mindset. So anyways, I've, I've got two thoughts. One is mechanical and one is, plot mechanical mm -hmm. so mechanically over about the first six sessions i worked out broadly how much more they were hitting than they should and how much harder to hit and, and i i can't remember which they were but i knew i had to add i think i had to add two to everything's ac um three to everything's to hit and like i can't remember but i, I it was two three and five and it might have been plus five to their damage i went that's roughly how much i've overinflated them now and i brought those numbers in over a period of sessions 
so that I knew that it would feel mechan that start to fail more. It'd start to feel mechanically harder for them, but I didn't just drop it. I I made it a little bit harder as we were going. I you know I had to reach into the drawer and for session two I went okay. So it's a lich. Lich is a good bad guy. We can work towards a lich over a long period of time. Um, and the other thing that I found has changed significantly as I've matured is I used to put a challenge in front of my players. Now I like to put a choice and if I want them to hurt, I put a dilemma. Mm, uh, nice. uh, so, and, and I, I think challenge, choice, dilemma, the challenge is you walk in, yeah, everyone, every, everyone in the bar stands up and goes, you're Burlu, aren't you? And draws their weapons. You know, you know how that fight's going to go. Uh, the choices could be as simple as you go left or right, or you can go to this town or go to that town. And then the dilemma is the both towns are on fire. They're both under attack. Which one are you going to go and save? Whichever one you don't save, it's going to go badly mm-hmm. because that's got nothing to that's got nothing to do with how many magic items they've got or how mechanically powerful they are. And by throwing more dilemmas in front of them, they felt challenged. I'm stuffing up my words. They felt challenged, mm-hmm. but then when I put a challenge in front of them, they usually just monstered it. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, And I would would just took cues from what fun. There there, there were a bunch of them who I'd call like my dice rollers. Mm. They wanted the combats. They wanted to roll dice. So it was like, cool, the fact that you're overpowered means I can throw a beholder at you a couple of levels before I probably should. should. And they were like, beholder, we never fought one of them at school. Um, One of the issues I'm dealing with is that – because I had three players originally uh, that first night at the cabin, and then since then, Bill has not come both times. He's had legitimate excuses, but that's also Bill. So we're going to continue playing, assuming that it will just be the two of them. I'm very much anti-DMPC, so I'm not planning on doing that. So I've got two characters, so I've had to buff them a little bit. So they're, they're third level. They just hit third, or no, sorry, they're second level, but they have third level hit points, and they have maximum hit points. So they're second level, but they have, you know, 30-something-odd hit points. But there's still only two of them. So, you know, I can throw a couple of goblins at them. They're going to wipe them out. But if I throw, like, three or four orcs, then suddenly the action economy can be against them, and it can go badly very quickly. So I'm trying to manage the how difficult I want this fight to be because I want it to be fun. I want them to roll dice and feel cool, but I also want them to take a hit and give a hit and have a chance to say a thing or maybe look for an advantage. Like they, there's a little bit of the the skill and strategy that they as players enjoy. I want to give them enough time. If they hit and kill everything in one hit, that's going to become very boring very fast. But I also have to make sure that I don't just slaughter them instantly by trying to put something too hard against two, two characters. And I know I, I can fudge things behind the, table if I need to. If it's starting to go badly, I'll just miss when I shouldn't have, or I'll do less damage I'm supposed to type of a thing. But I also don't want them to ever know that I'm doing that. So you can't make it too obvious because then it's not fun either. But that's kind of the thing that I'm running into is also managing their power level. The fact that there's only two of them, it just adds a little bit of extra complexity. The other thing that I'm experiencing, I mentioned this before as well, is they like playing with maps and minis. They're both very visual people. They're both artists. One's an art teacher at the college level. One's an art teacher at the grade school level. Was high school, then multiple schools. So they really enjoy minis. One of them went out and bought minis and painted them. 
So I'm back to running maps and minis, which I have not done in so many years. And I put a lot of time and effort. I drew out maps. I actually cut out maps a lot, like these big, like um, easel stand graph paper things. So I actually I cut did exactly the same. Yeah, I cut the maps out, and then like as they go in a room, I just throw out like here's the new map we're going through. And I I realized at the end of that fight, I kind of, I kind of was thinking back on it. I am so bad at running those types of battles because I've gotten so good, I think, at running theater of the mind. And I'm very good about throwing in details and like stuff with terrain and like how it feels and sounds and, and bringing in these other elements. And when the map was there, I was just relying on, well, here's the goblin, here's the door. And I left out all the details about what the goblins looked like. I, I just said, it's a goblin. Like I didn't do any of the, it's a short squat green creature with, you know, and I just felt like I did such a terrible job because I, I was flexing a muscle I haven't used before. And rather than massaging it with the, the experience I have in theater of the mind, I flipped a switch and I was just totally on, well, you can see it right there. I don't have to do that part. So I'm going to try really hard focus next time on bringing in those elements that I particularly enjoy theater of the mind style, but still giving them the visual representation of maps and minis because they like that as well. Again, no question there. Just something to say. Yeah, you're giving me a real flashback to the fact that um, yeah, when we kicked off, they they were very keen on maps and minis. And I had someone who'd been in war into Warhammer the whole intervening time and just immediately on his own went and bought minis for everyone and painted them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I found myself doing exactly the same thing to the point that I got like a note card and wrote the five senses on it and stuck it behind my screen because I was, I, I immediately just dropped all of that. Um, we have a saying down here, this, you can't build the Sydney Harbour bridge from one end only. I don't know if you have a similar is going, all right, well, I want to keep as much of that theater of the mind cinematic stuff. What's the minimum map I can give you that doesn't, cause me to go cool i've got enough on my mind as it is because i think our brain tries to optimize and goes yeah cool you don't have to worry about describing that because you just did those four lines um and i can focus more on your body language and stuff um but i flubbed that i i ended up getting really into printing you know, finding cool maps on pinterest and printing them out and for the big battle i big battles i'd print huge things um but since since covid you know, we sort of shifted to online and, and using minimal stuff and some pre-bought modules. But I, I had to remind myself, wait, my fun came from doing that description and seeing them, seeing them watch the movie in their head, not seeing them looking down at the grid to work out the optimal position. Even though I've got a couple of players who working out the optimal position to put their polearm sentinel paladin that's his fun. Right. Yeah. That, that's the that's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to figure through is because they seem to really enjoy it. Like they're not super into the, if I move four squares or five squares, but just they like to be able to know the spatial distance. Which, again, they're just visual thinkers. They're really good at that. And they come up with really good strategies. They're much better strategizing than I am when it comes to the combat when they can see it in that level. I'm just going to do the coolest thing I can. 
And they're like, well, but if I go here and here, I got sight lines. And, and they're, so they're really enjoying it. But I feel like I could make it more enjoyable if I continue to add in those other elements that I completely just spaced on this last time. And it will also be more fun for me because like we played Hero Quest. We had the faculty retreat not too long ago. Uh, I broke out the Hero Quest that revised edition I bought. We, I think that's what we played more than anything. Chris and mm-hmm. his wife and Michael played and Rocky. And that's what that game is. It's it's a dungeon crawler sort of thing. And, you know, for what it was, it was fun. I'm glad we got to play it. But I don't want this to turn into that. I don't want mm-hmm. this just to be Hero Quest. I want it to be something different. And I was absolutely playing it like Hero Quest. I move five, I attack you, attack it's dead. And I just, that's not what I want to do. And I think they will have more fun if I can massage both elements at the same time. Um, again, I don't think I've talked to you about it, Chris, before, but when you play Redemption, I'm, I'm assuming that's no maps and no minis, but do you play with them in other games? I'd be lost using them. I'm not going to lie. I, we never used them all through my gaming until fourth edition. And then it was so much with the maps and minis. And that took a lot of, it, t- it took a lot of my focus away from being creative and looking down at my character sheet and going, well, what can I do mechanically, which is not my style. Mm. I like people saying, oh, I'm going to go jump off the table and stab the guy. Well, you can't because this, that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, really? I'm the hero. You mean I can't slide across the table and stab him? Like make the difficulty one more. I don't care. Like uh, it, it took away from me. Um, now when I run like convention games, I'll say to people, I don't usually use a maps or minis but I can put a really poor drawing out here if I'm not explaining it right. That'll kind of give you an idea of what the room looks like. And then if you want, I've got these little tokens we can use to kind of place things around. I find most people don't need it. Um, I think part of it is I play games that don't really have like, oh, you move five feet and do this. It's, you know, Star Wars, for example, is very broad. Hey, short range is several meters. Luckily, most people in America are like, what's a meter? Mm-hmm. Like, what's well, kind of like a yard, only a little longer. Um, or, or, you know, the, the range bands are so loose, it's easy to describe it, and you don't have to worry about actually counting squares. You know, same thing like Shadow of the Demon Lord, which I play a lot. You don't have to really count the squares. It's just descriptive. So I think that's part of it is, I think the system kind of pushes people in that direction in a way. It's just not something that I've ever been drawn to. But again, that takes me away from the role playing and it becomes mechanical for me. Yeah. And that's, that's just not my style. And that's, that's fine. I think I'm old enough to understand what is my style and I'm definitely old enough to respect everybody else's style. Right. And if that's what they want to play, great. Um, you know, I enjoyed Hero Quest, but after, you know, one or two little stories and their adventures, whatever. Yeah. I'm ready to play something else. Right. It, it's pretty samey after a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like these, these are the only guys that would have ever got me to go back, back to maps and minis. Like I, if it had been anybody else, I'd be like, no, that's, that's not how I like to run games. Even my kids, I'm pretty much like, no, we're going to do theater of the mind. But, but these particular people are the people that'd be like, oh, I think they're going to have more fun. So I'll do it type of a thing. Cause yeah. again, we, I was playing with those kids when I was eight years old and you, you, you never can get that. Like, like I said, you can make new friends, but you can't make old friends. And these are my old friends. Yep. All right. So we actually, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say one of the <laughs> things that I've become aware of recently is so one of the people at one of my tables doesn't have 
aphantasia, like the, they can't imagine. Mm-hmm. But I'd say they've got it like mildly, that if I don't put something to scaffold their imagination, they can't see the film. Mm. So if I, if I did it purely theatre, it's almost an accessibility thing mm-hmm. for that individual, that if I don't give them that scaffold, they can see everyone else around them is, you know, on the mountaintop as the storm is raging and the wind's blowing across. And I can see them like they just they can't find it. But to your point, Chris, if I go, look, here's, here's, this, here's a circle, you know, you're roughly here, the wind's blowing this way, rain's coming down. I suddenly see it unfold in their head and I go, good, you're. See, and that's where, that's where my brain shifts to. Now I want to have fun watching their face light up. So now I want to do the the drawings mm-hmm. and the maps and the minis and take myself out of, you know, kind of, my fun just becomes watching them have fun with it then. hundred percent. So, yeah. That's, I, don't know, that's, I think a big part of gaming in my opinion should be about watching everybody else at the table, have fun too. Um, you know, I've been playing for a few years and I, I've been to many tables where that's, not the case mm. and i wish people would realize you know we're all there to have fun it's okay to watch somebody else have fun yeah i mean it should be fun for you to to experience other people's fun like it is for me as as the gm i enjoy playing a game that other people are enjoying like i feed off of that energy when i can see they're having fun i get an endorphin hit so i'm trying to chase that dungeons and dragon type of thing you know where mm-hmm. I, I give you fun you have fun then i get the energy back and it reciprocates and that kind of thing it's a circle it is a circle of life but we're also running long because <laughs> we're three guys who like to talk about stuff so we're going to move on so yeah. my apologies but yep that's what's happening so Sorry. we're going to move into our second improv game this is where have my fingers been this is everyone's favorite part of the show doesn't look like new york takers with us tonight he's probably everyone. dealing with hurricane stuff somewhere <laughs> So we're going to take turns prompting each other once again to create a short scene that involves two or more characters who are going to act out a little puppeteer style. Uh, usually they have a beginning, middle, and end. I often leave at least one of those out because I think it's fun. Uh, David, you are the guest again tonight. So would you like to go first uh, in terms of giving a prompt or receiving a prompt? Uh, I will again receive a prompt because I can't think of one to give. Totally fair. So, all right. So um, even though New York Hitter's not here, we still have to sing the song for him. So if you will sing the song, uh, do you remember it? I do. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are two heroes in a dungeon. You're about to break into a room that you know is full of goblins and orcs. And you're trying to convince the other one to go first. Hey, I reckon you should go first. Hey, I reckon you should go first. Well, why don't we ask that guy? Um, What? That guy? Who's that? Uh... I think that's New York Tater. I think they just they just watch, so that you can't ask them. Well, could we use New York Tater as a battering ram? Yeah, I, I, I reckon we could. Yeah, let's grab them. Uh, 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 uh. And that's where my fingers have been. Yay! Yay! New York Tater gets to be involved anyway. I'm sure he'll love that. And his head bashed in. All right. Yes. <laughs> so I'm sure he feels like that a lot. All right, so again, to keep the circle going, you will now prompt Chris for his um, scene. Chris, you will sing the song. Right. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? You are in a plaza in Spain with your wife, and seven minutes into a conversation, you've just realized that 
it's actually been in English for the last few minutes and it's pivoted to you. Uh, what? I mean, I get to make a decision on this trip. I mean, it's, it's, it's your trip. Uh, yeah. I'd like your input. Uh, uh, it's a trap. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, honey. My lawyer has advised me to <laughs> plead the fifth. I, I really hate you sometimes. And that's where my fingers have been. Yay. Yay. Those of you brought in the third, I feel pressure now. Like I need to do that. I probably won't. <laughs> All right. So boom, here we go. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? I, I, I like that. A paladin has just caught his thief stealing. Um, what, what, where, where? Oh, no, this, 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 oh, no, 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 I know what you're, no, no. I was just making sure that it was all there because I, as you know, don't trust anybody. Oh, I, I definitely know you don't trust anybody and I don't trust you. See, I used to be, my, that was my nickname in college was anybody. So, you know, it's kind of like a circular logic. Would you two shut up? I'm trying to sleep. And that's where my fingers have been. Yay. Yay! Full circle. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to move into cryptozoology. This is where we take a look at a monster, usually from D&D, but not always. And not always a monster, as we're going to see tonight, or can be. It's com complicated. Uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> ways that maybe we have used this monster in the past, maybe brainstorm some ways that we're going to use this monster in the future. We do have a couple people watching. I know some key, maybe he's off making a blizzard dessert and just has a screen on but we got at least according to my screen i can see two people watching at the end of cryptozoology we do an audience q a section so if you have any questions for us be thinking of them now all right david so you are the guest again tonight so what monster ish thing do you want to talk about well i wanted to talk about one of the npc stat blocks the gladiator um because i use it in two ways uh it's um, it's a, a really different kind of piece of beefcake to throw into <laughs> a into a room. Okay, they're not like a they're not like a bandit. They they have some story wrapped up in them. Like if you're a gladiator, that you do it's, it's like a the difference between like when you call someone a hitman or a a, a fence or a smuggler. Like it, Fighters can be martial characters can often not have as much inbuilt story as like your warlock. We you've immediately got that big patron story hook. Um, a gladiator, your professional fighter, uh, who either fights for entertainment or fights for survival, they're just a more interesting kind of martial person to put in there. Um, the fact that it's just any humanoid, they can be anyone, uh, they can be standing next to the the you know the, the the core person in the scene that they're that they're against um like put them next to the mage uh i think they're really versatile mechanically uh and you you know if we're talking theater of the mind like you can you can really go to town with what your gladiator looks like because they they can have kind of video game armor whereas your town guard is going to be wearing functional armor whereas uh, the you know, the great Gorthak, uh, renowned gladiator of the you know nine planes. It's okay for them to have an impractical pauldron with ridiculous spikes on it if that's not the kind of game you're playing. The gladiator is allowed to wear the theatrical <laughs> stuff. Like they they can they can really eat some scenery. Um, and then 
Um, they can hit pretty hard. They've got a low enough AC that they get hit hard enough, often enough. They've got enough hit points, they'll survive a bit. And they, they've got multi-attack and they've got shield bash and they, they can be really vicious. They're the, the, I've used them a lot to, and also a gladiator being professional gives you per- permission for them to fight, fight smart. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've got them to shield bash the fighters out of the way and run for the squishies. Mm. Put like a couple of them on the field and go, yeah, they knock the paladin aside and they're coming. One of them, one of them shouts, kill the casters. And they're all going to take an opportunity attack and they are, yeah, they're coming for you. And you, you, you go, wait, what? And you can see that these, they're professional puncher honorers, if that makes some sense. But then just as a stat block, I found them a really, really good chassis to build all sorts of other things on. Before we get to Uh, that, just want to quickly. So this can be found on page 346 of the fifth edition monster manual. Uh, the gladiator is a level five challenge. I guess I don't, I don't really know that I think challenge level makes a whole lot of sense or works, but we're going with it. Uh, they are brave. So they get advantage on saving throws against being frightened. They are brute, which means they do an extra die of damage, which is included in the stat books lower. Uh, as David mentioned, they have multi attack, so they can make three melee attacks or two ranged attacks. Their primary weapon in the stat block is a spear. Uh, and they have three ways they can use it. They can throw it, they can hit you, or they can two-handed hit you. And again, they can do that up to three times if they do uh, melee. They have the shield bass, as you bash, as you mentioned, and they have a reaction of parry. So uh, against one melee hit that would have hit it, they can add three to their AC if they can see the person is about to hit them. So they can make their armor class 19 against one attack each round which works really well for that shield bash. If you're saying they're just going to run through, it's going to be harder for at least one of those people to hit. Um, but with the reasons you want to bring this up again, it's a very robust um, stat block, but you use it basically as just a starting point for a lot of things that you like to do. Yeah. Um, I'll just quickly point out that the shield bash in this is, is noted as a melee weapon attack. So it's in that kind of three oh, okay. things. So you can have it run up and shield bash three different people and knock them all prone. Hmm. And suddenly the battlefield is vastly different than it was six in-game seconds ago. Um, and I've I've used this to be a pirate captain. I've used it to be um, in that in the one-shot game that turned into a two-and-a-half-year game. Uh, the bad lich was basically making xenomorphs, so they kept like aliens from the movie Alien, they kept coming across all sorts of weird xenomorphs. Uh, almost all of them were the gladiator when you pulled the skin off. Uh, that the throne spear became the acid splash, and the shield bash was the lashing tail. Um, and the the claws just very thematically smash someone to the ground and then attacking with advantage. Um, and describing the shrieking of the alien as it was doing that, they they my players were genuinely frightened and if you told them that's the same stat block as the guard who was looking after the vizier in the last town they wouldn't have (laughs) believed it right so uh you can turn that ranged attack into anything any type uh and that smashing people prone and then parry means that they can break through a line really quickly and and come out the other side so they've been mage hunters like 
in long flowing cloaks, not looking like a gladiator at all, but wearing the insignia of the mage hunters. Uh, and it was, it was the gladiator under the skin. And, and I just find it a really, it's like a hot rod, right? And you, it, it's got a really good engine underneath. It's got mm. some range damage. It's got some melee damage. It can do some control by knocking people prone. It's not going to die in one go. Even if the mage hits it with disintegrate, it's over a hundred hit points. So they don't get slaughtered immediately. Uh, so they got a bit of survivability. Uh, and I, I, I'm interested if, if you've got go-to stat blocks, like if, if they, if I needed a bad guy for them to fight instantly, this is my go-to. Mm. You can dress it up however you want and turn anything into anything. So, Chris, what about you? Have you ever you used a gladiator as is, or do you even in, in any of your games, in Star Wars, do you have a stat block that's your go-to if I don't have anything else, I use this sort of thing? Um, yes and no. Um, most people that know me know that I kind of just make up stats as I go. Um, usually, all I need to know is basically what I'm AC is what their hit points are, and then I'll just make it up as I go. Uh, so I, I kind of have a go-to, but it's real loose. I, I've never used the exact gladiator uh, skin, but I've used similar stuff. Um, when I used to run a lot of D&D, I just had my typical brute that, like I said, had an AC, had some hit points, and had his to hit, which is really all I needed to know, and I could just work off of that and just like you said, skin it however I want. Um, which your description of the the gladiator with the flowing pauldron with spikes. It's there's a cosplay thing at a catacomb that might be my uh, outfit. Mm, nice. That in a chainmail bikini, because then I can call it whatever I want. That's right. Disturbing is what That's most it. other people will call it. <laughs> yes. I, I, everybody who's in the contest, costume contest is going to get a, like a little sign that they can show like, you know, their number. I'm going to make yours like life-sized. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm going to wear that. <laughs> um, but I, so yeah, I have kind of used it. Just not that exact one. Um, what about you? Have you used one before? So we, we were talking a little bit before we went live uh, in my 3.5 days. X. <laughs> Some, some key Kim says came back at a weird point. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> I did this a lot. I think it was like the the thieves guild thief that was in the back. It might have I think might have been a cultist. It was one of the two. But yeah, I used it for everything. It was basically I knew the hit points, I knew the AC, I knew the you know um, the armor class or and the the damage sort of thing. Uh, but just in general, I want to talk about that. I love reskinning. It's something we've talked about many many mm-hmm. times on the show. I'm a huge fan of it, and I love the specificity that David gave that it became a xenomorph. You know, that's not just, oh, it's a bugbear or it's a goblin or it's an orc. No, this is a unique creature. I mean, to this world probably. But mm-hmm. you were able to take the things on the stat block and just give them a little bit of flavor. Range attack is acid. Uh, whip, you know, tail whip is the, 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 the shield bash. That is like expert level GMing, in my opinion, like mm-hmm. in that regard, because I could totally see how that battle would play out in the game but you have done nothing other than how you describe what you're doing. And I think I, I'm actually one of these people that I don't think we need 37 monster manuals. Like every time there's like a new Tome of Beast or Tome of Foes or Tome of the same of that, like I get people, they, they make millions of dollars, whatever. I don't know that you need those because if you just reskin stuff, I think there's enough in this one to do 90% of that. I, 
again, that's a, I'm getting on a soapbox there, but I love the fact that you're doing it and you're doing it so well. I wish I had a good example to share immediately that would equal that. And I don't have one. Like you are absolutely knocking it out of the park with that. So kudos oh, well, to you, thank sir. you. I, uh, I agree. I agree. And I agree. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I like, I, I've got enough monsters and having more monsters can't compensate for not knowing your players and where their fun comes from, which loops back to what we were talking about before. I I do have one or two players that were like, they've, they said, I just hope we get to fight the iconic monsters. So Mm. so, sure. You're going to have to fight a beholder and a mind flayer and a big dread dragon at some point, but for everything else, it's, it's more powered by the story and, you know, I would really encourage people to make more use of those NPC stat blocks and just wrap them up in other story. And also feel free to smudge them together. Like you give that gladiator one spell that they cast once and, um, you know, a, a, a gem on their armor flares red and then they hold their hand out and cast fireball and you can see that there's two more on them. Suddenly the threat levels are heap higher and I don't need to remember anything except just I know what for damage fireball does. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they can become a powerful multi-class in seconds. Um, and for your, like as you know, even as is, as the gladiator, I think your fighters often feel like they just chew through mooks. And something I like about the way Star Wars runs with, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong because I want to say elites because I'm thinking of 4E, but um, yep. Indians, Nemesis. Rival, Nemesis is the... Yeah, big the, baddies. Yeah, that you, your martial classes and my my players who their fun is mowing through the mooks to get to the bad guy, putting a gladiator that clearly is calling them out, pointing their sword overly dramatically. A, they immediately want to take that person down a peg, and it's a it's a robust enough stat block that it can give them something flavorful to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do I'm kind of touched on that before, but when you want your players to do cool things and feel powerful, sometimes you need a, a bad guy that can take a couple hits to give them that chance. You know, it almost seems counterintuitive in a way, like, well, if they're just mowing through the bad guys, that makes them feel powerful. But it's it's different when you're like, you have a bad guy that's, that's tough enough for them to set something up. And the, the rogue gets in position for their sneak attack. The, the you know, the wizard casts a spell from afar that weakens their armor class or immobilizes them or stuns them. And then the fighter gets their hit. So you need a bad guy that's worth three hits to get that moment. So you need to give them some bad guys that have enough hit points that they can do that. And they still feel like they got a little bit of oomph on the other side of it. So, uh, you know, again, I think it sometimes seems counterintuitive, but giving them some bad guys that can take a few hits is actually part of making them feel cool. At least I think it can be and doing the cool stuff they can do. And I did want to mention one of the things I've been doing in that game with Brandon, Bill and Joe minus Bill um, is I've been using the, the mob rules which I think they're from, I know they're from Star Wars. I think it might be in D&D too somewhere. I don't remember. But basically I throw mobs at them and each each member of the mob has five hit points. So if they roll well, because you know, they're doing anywhere between like three and 10, 11, 12 points of damage at a time, you know, based on their rolls, they can take out multiple enemies in one roll. And so even though they don't have things like Great Cleave yet or multi-attack, we can simulate that because if they rolled 11 points of damage, they took out two mooks. 
And so then I can say, well, okay, you took out two of them. How did you do that? And then they get to come up with some cool way that, you know, this one shot that one as it fell or my, you know, my arrow went through one and into the other. And I love those because that is the thing they didn't get from me before. I know I'm circling this all the way back, but back to my game, but that's something I do now that they n- never experienced. I never did the, you tell me what's interesting about the town you just walked in. Or you tell me what's the first thing you notice about this NPC? What sticks out to you about them? And so this is all brand new to them. And also the, what does it look like? You killed two of these goblins. How did you do that? And they're just like, they're excited about it, but they're not good at it yet. And they're like, I don't, I don't know. What should I say? And they're asking each other, but it's still a fun energy at the table. And that's definitely one thing that I brought in that I didn't have before. But I love MOOC rules. Again, slightly different topic here. Uh, letting people take out more than one at one time. Always fun. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I will say, I think I used to kind of reskin things a little different. Like I used to run a lot of 3.5. I loved adding class levels to monsters. Yeah. I was going to mention that. So a player would walk and go, Oh, that's a cobalt. They have like four hit points. They do blah, blah, blah. Fireball just came out of the cobalt. Wait, what? Time out. How did that work? Shrug my shoulders. like, Initiative's rolled. It's your turn. What are you going to do? Yep be confused at how a kobold just cast a fireball. Well, because he's got five levels of wizard, six, whatever it took. Like, that's how. It just it really only increases hit points by what? Maybe 20? But now you've changed their opinion of what this kobold is. Um, a lot of my players are smart enough to realize, wait a minute, I'm fifth level and just walked up on two kobolds? It's, something's not right. Mm. I, I disbelieve it's quiet, the illusion. too quiet. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there would be. I disbelieve. Like, no, there's two kobolds there, yeah. and and they're not trying to eat me. No, but they do have a big cook pot. They're looking at you funny. <laughs> so, you know, that would be more kind of how those scenes went. And, and I enjoyed it, and they enjoyed it because they were like, "All right, we're kind of tired of." Like, a lot of my players knew the books kind of forward and backwards. They're like, yeah. "We're kind of tired of knowing what to expect in a way." But you said your players want to fight those iconic monsters. You know, hopefully they're not reading all the books and going, oh, I've done 40 hit well, points. It should be dead. I, I have one who knows all the books and knows all the stats, and he always keeps track of how much damage mm-hmm. they've done and goes, it must be looking pretty damaged by now, isn't it? Um, and, you know. That's his fun. Yeah. That, that's that's where I, his fun. That's where I would stick and be like, where are we at? Oh, oh he's he's almost dead. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, just I'd remember to keep track of it. Those hit points in the book are the average of the range. So even yeah. without technically cheating, you can make it the minimum all the way to the maximum. Uh, so sometimes it's a good idea to have that in your head. So that, you know, the thing that has like the NPC set blocks different, like a beholder. I don't know. It's, it probably has like a 212 hit points. That's the average. So it probably could go from like 180 to 260. So anywhere in there, you're good. At least that's my opinion. Yeah. How things works. Very quickly, I mean, that that's where the NPC stat blocks help for when they finally got to the big black dragon and I knew that my player would know everything about that. You grab six gladiators and put them all in exotic armor and say, uh, the intelligent dragon has hired a hit squad to take you out and it's in front of them. It's behind them, sorry. Um, I can play with their stats and my mm-hmm. metagamer hasn't been duped from the pleasure of he knows how that black dragon works. I'm going to let it run exactly as written, but I'm going to, I almost said a bad word. I'm going to 
fool around yeah. with every other stat block on the, on the board. They're, yeah, they're going to and find out. Yeah. Uh, yes. Excellent. All right. Well, I absolutely love to have you on the show. I'm sorry my, my coughing wasn't too bad, but it interrupted a few times. But it was a pleasure to have you on. You would be welcome back anytime. We can make the 14-hour time zone thing work out. Uh, we are going to go to audience Q&A. We got a couple people watching. Uh, if anybody would like to ask any questions of, of myself, of Chris or David or all three, it makes sense they're RPG related, but hey, you do you. Uh, now's your time to do so. There's a little bit of a delay. So while we're waiting for that to catch up, Chris, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, Twitter. That's the easiest. Uh, Burlu underscore Chris. Uh, I check it once a day. Don't put much out there. Uh, that's just my thing. Um, when social media first started, pretty much everything people posted was nothing but negative comments after. So I usually do things through private messages with people I know that are going to be positive. So if you post something, I'll read it generally. Send I might some positive love. Bit. Like say, hey, yeah. I, I love redemption. Can't wait for it to come back. <laughs> uh, I think it's a month. I don't remember exactly when the schedule is. Um, that's Kaylee's job. I just show up and talk into the microphone. Excellent. That's kind of my job. So. All right. And then David, where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to come hang out with you? Well, I am Tigranosaurus. That's been my nickname for a while. But on Twitter, I am Tigranosaurus1 because believe it or not, it was already gone. Mm. And I've reached out to the person who is, the, is Tigranosaurus on Twitter and said, hi, you don't appear to have used this for many years. Could you give it to me? But yeah. Tigranosaurus one, if you want to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, gaming, um, and kindness, I try to be unironically positive when I'm on Twitter, which is a difficult thing to do because it's a hellscape. Yes. Um, uh, I occasionally take hiatus from there, but love having conversations with, with people and any friend of the Academy is a friend of mine. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, as for myself, of course, you can find me at the RPG Academy. That's where I do most of my stuff. Um, Farm to Fable, also my Smallville rewatch podcast. Tomorrow I'm recording season five, episode one. So we're getting ready to launch our season five coverage. I'm very excited about that. Though, of course, I, I'm timing terribly because I'm right in the middle of a catacomb prep and vacation prep and my job, which is easy, like the easiest job I've ever had is now getting to the part where it's not easy anymore. So yeah, the hair that I have is going away and it's graying at an exponential rate. Uh, but also my Discord. Again, Chris is part of that. I absolutely love Discord. It's my favorite corner of the internet. It's just, a you know, there's probably about maybe, there's maybe 10 people who are really active on there. We may have around 30 who are in and out. But it's just this kind of conversation all the time. We share things we're excited about. We have one channel where people can complain if something bad's going on and everyone else jumps in and tries to give them some support. So it's just a lovely community full of lovely people. Open to anybody, but you do have to ask. It's not You can't just jump in. You have to get asked for the, the link. I'll send it to you. You're welcome to join. Uh, if you want to do that, just let me know again. I'll send you the link. And then, of course, a Catacon. We are less than, or actually we're a month away. So tomorrow will be exactly four weeks from when we'll be heading up there or down there, depending on where you're coming from, uh, and getting ready. So it's it's here. It's exciting. It's nerve-wracking. I'm anxious. But uh, Kickstarter went even better than expected. We've got a whole bunch of people um, coming. There's like 140 events being ran. We have more events than we have people. So we need more people to show up. Um Rudo Bush just jumped in, says they're going to be there in November. So awesome. Nice. Can't wait to see you. So um, no questions have come in, but we always have one question we ask all of our first-time guests. So, David, if you were going to be turned into an action figure, and I don't mean like metaphysically you physically become a – but just like they're going to make one of you, what are the three accessories that would come in your package? Um, 
um okay a um it'd be wearing a badge that says free hugs oh okay nice um it would have a comically oversized dice bag <laughs> nice. that included um my star wars dice like all the dice okay uh, probably a male one, a chain mail one. So if you were playing fighty fighty with your action figures, it could be a bludgeoning weapon. Oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah. Multi-purpose. Very important. Yep. And a, uh, backpack with a laptop in it. Oh, fantastic. Do you have a, are you a brand loyal? You're a Mac guy, Windows, Dell? Um, a bit like car, yeah. Windows, but like I've kind of view it as compute and <laughs> I used to get them through work. And so it's like, Whatever compute you gave me is what you give me, but I'm I'm a Windows guy. Probably a Surface in there. Oh, nice, very cool. Well, Brody Bush, thank you for jumping in here at the last minute. I hope you enjoyed this last part of the conversation. Um, you may have been here the whole time and just now mentioned it. That's totally fine. Uh, we do this every other week on Wednesday. We usually kick off about 9 p.m. Eastern time. PM runs for an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, we try to have guests on. I have a guest lined up for next time. I believe Matthew is going to be here. Um, and it's going to be a little bit different for used books. They're actually going to talk about a charity organization that they're a part of through the uh, Indie Press Revolution. They have a diversity sponsorship. They give uh, they, they basically raise money and give money to um, uh, diverse creators in the TTRPG space. And they're currently doing like a, a fun drive. So we're going to have them on and they're going to talk about that charity and how you can help support them. So be here two weeks from now to talk about that. Um, and I'll see you on the interwebs at the RPG Academy, hopefully on discord. So everybody do the awkward wave out. Thanks for being here. Don't see forget. you next time. Don't forget. Oh yeah. If you're, if it, see, it's not above it, me, it's above you, but it's out of sight. Yeah. It's up there somewhere. Yeah. If you're having fun, having fun, you're, you're doing, doing it right. right. There we go. Thank you. And bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.